space is global and we can't change that. So we have that aspect. We also have the fact that there are supply chain attacks that take place frequently where there's intellectual property theft and recreation of components that are injected into the supply chain. And I've seen it hit headline news. It's public information, but at that point it's already happened. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is The Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Welcome back, podcasters. This episode is the second in a month-long series focusing on the space industrial base, on some key parts of it that cut across the civil, commercial, and defense space sectors, no matter the vertical. This week is about the latest strategic cybersecurity developments in the space domain and the steps that are being taken toward developing systems of collective cybersecurity for all sorts of space assets on orbit, on the ground, and in production. If you remember from last week's episode, the Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment, William LaPlante, he said his priority is production. In the 21st century, adversaries understand that when you can now print solid rocket motors, production is driven by software, by code and commands coming from trusted sources. You might say that the vulnerabilities space assets present to cyber warriors is at once evolving and growing just like the space industrial base itself. Much of the news is coming out of Europe, where next week the European Space Agency, or ESA, which is a civil space organization, is convening its second space and security conference in Brussels. And it was reported late last month that Guillaume de la Brosse, the deputy secretary of the European Commission's Defense Industry and Space Directorate, he reportedly revealed the EU's intention to stand up a space information sharing and analysis center, and it would be modeled after its well-established namesake here in the United States. So what's driving all this space and cyber activity? And what are the implications or perhaps the lessons the United States space industrial base should take away? To answer these questions and more, we have Samuel Visner and Aaron Miller, who represent the Colorado-based Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center, or Space ISAC. Here's our conversation. Hi, Sam. It's great to have you back. And Aaron, welcome to the Downlink Podcast. Laura, it's great to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. You know, this month, this podcast is looking at different aspects of the state of the U.S. space industrial base, you know, stuff that matters a lot, but doesn't always rate the kind of headlines, say, like launch or spacesuits. And I've brought you here to talk about cybersecurity because it's often an afterthought, less so in defense circles. But before we get to it, let's do some introductions. Sam, you've been on the podcast a couple of times. But for the newest members of the audience, take a moment and introduce yourself. Great. Thanks. Or I will. Uh, I'm Sam Visner. I'm a tech fellow at the Aerospace Corporation, which is a federally funded research and development center. And I'm also the vice chair of the board of directors of the Space Information Sharing and Analysis Center, about which you'll all hear more in a few minutes. And I teach as an adjunct professor of cybersecurity, policy operations, and technology at Georgetown University. And I've been working in the cybersecurity field, both in government and leading some cybersecurity businesses now for 
a good long time, but working at the intersection of space and cyber is one of the most important and frankly exciting things I've ever done. And Aaron, you're the Space ISAC's executive director. Take a moment and tell us about yourself and your day-to-day at the helm of what's becoming an increasingly important organization. Sure, Laura. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, As you say, I run the Space ISAC, so I spend a lot of time talking about cybersecurity for space systems and engaging with our 70 members on a fairly regular basis, almost multiple times a day here. We are convening collaborative group sessions on a regular basis, talking about things like blockchain and AI and their application to space system cybersecurity, also running day-to-day now a watch center with uh, several analysts sitting on site. We'll talk about that more later, I'm sure, that are watching for the threats that are attacking our space systems. Also working with uh, senior executives across the world, different governments having strategic conversations about how uh, they should approach protecting their space systems. And some people might wonder, how did you get to have this fantastic opportunity, Erin, and I have a a long background actually in public-private partnership where I've stood up a few different nonprofits that were focused on bringing together the public and private sector, doing rapid commercialization of technology, including cybersecurity and space, uh, and working with um, many different government agencies and ranging from startups to large businesses all along the way. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Just truth be told, I don't actually have a specific question about the Watch Center, so I don't want to forget about it later on because I've got some kind of meaty and juicy questions later. So tell Mm. us a bit first now about the Watch Center and and how it works. Oh, sure. So it has five different cells with analysts assigned to those different cells. We do analysis on uh, all threats, all hazards in space ISAC. So we're looking at, uh, from a terrestrial layer perspective, what different types of attacks are affecting space systems. And this is really centered around uh, our member companies and their infrastructure, but it does range across all the different aspects of a space system. So the ground segment, the link segment, space, also the user and the launch community. So we look at terrestrial layer attacks. We also look at uh, signals, uh, compromises, and degradation. And then we're also looking at the space layer. So different types of maneuvers and patterns, uh, maneuvers that are out of the normal pattern of life are reported through the Space ISAC Watch Center. And this is just our initial operational capability. So we've we've started here and we're growing on this. Uh, We have uh, several different threat scenarios that are in our pipeline to address as we bring in more analysts into the Watch Center. There are about seven analysts now and they're primarily from the private sector. And we'll be bringing in analysts soon that are from the public sector that are getting assigned uh, actually by their agency to sit there. And am I correct in what I've read that you're also looking at Cislunar? We are, yeah. We stood up our Cislunar affinity group and we even have regular discussions about the supply chain impact on Cislunar. Uh, Supply chain is a huge topic of conversation where it comes up almost every meeting that we have. And I'm running a panel discussion at the CyberLeo conference next week where we'll talk about zero trust and how that can affect our uh, investments in Cislunar. Now, that conference is in Los Angeles, but both of you were recently in Paris at the CISAC conference. 
And I couldn't help but notice that all the news coming out of that meeting contained references to last year's Viasat hack, you know, the one that took out routers in Ukraine and across Europe. My understanding is that what happened is called a wiper attack, meaning that it wiped out all the data and software and that turned those routers into paperweights and doorstops. Aaron, why even now, some 14 months later, is this attack sticking in everyone's side like a thorn? I mean, from what you observed in Paris, what's the issue and why hasn't it seemingly been resolved? Great question. I feel like I have the same question myself, but I have been living through this on a regular day to day. You know, this is all we talk about is attacks on space systems. So um, I I think the, the main reason why it's sticking into and sticking in people's minds is that it was the first time this was a public um, publicly exposed that there was an attack of this gravity that affected space systems and there wasn't an immediate response. We didn't have a mech, we didn't have a watch center that existed at that time uh, for the space ISAC. And it took a long time uh, for, in most people's assessment for the information to make its way through the system and have information ta sharing take place the way that we would all like it to take place in almost instantaneously, where we have a trusted information sharing environment where the industry member that's uh, participating, if they experience an attack, they can go uh, right to their trusted community and they can share information about what took place. But we still have a very large and long learning curve, I believe. We have the infrastructure in place to do it, but we have to learn as an industry how to share information as soon as the attack takes place and even before the attack takes place so that we can protect each other and our own systems. Can I add something to that, if I could, please? Of course. Aaron's, Aaron's response is spot on. The lack of, of rapid and effective information sharing was costly. Um, and I think that that's a lesson that needs to be learned today. Um, if you take a look at the situation in Ukraine, it highlights a couple of the reasons why this issue remains on the front burner. One, you see that country, you see Ukraine, using commercial space systems to support its government operations, to support its ability to be a sovereign government, and to support its ability to make war. And they're using commercial systems. So the need to protect commercial systems for the most vital missions has never been greater. And the Viasat and the attack on Viasat casts that into stark relief. The other reason that this remains on the hot burner is that the Russians have said quite clearly that they regard commercial space systems used to support Ukraine, uh, used to support Ukraine as legitimate targets. So we can expect that we will see continued uh, malicious activity focused on commercial space systems, uh, both because of the dependence governments have on those systems and the fact that adversaries have now declared that these systems are fair gain for malicious operations. Well, that's another reason why I think this, will, this is on the front burner, and a year and a half later, this is where it stays. As you know, we're here to talk about the space industrial base. And while a lot of people are going to instantly look up and think that space and cybersecurity means just satellites, but a seemingly easier target, which is often called an attack surface, it's really the ground segment. And that is just one actual possible point of intrigue or vulnerability. Now, my gut, and after years of reporting in conflict zones, I, I tend to trust that part of myself first. Thing is, 
I just know that cybersecurity is an integral part of the space industrial base, but I can't really explain it to my satisfaction. So Sam or Aaron, can you help me out here? Why is cybersecurity part of the space industrial base, not simply like loading Norton onto your laptop? There are two reasons. If I could start, Aaron, I, I hope you don't mind. There are two overarching reasons, maybe more. The first is that more and more cyber systems depend on space. We're going to be building new hyperscaler infrastructure around the world with smart cities, with 5G, with, with global cloud infrastructures connected through global 5G low Earth orbiting satellite, LEOSAT uh, constellations. So more and more things will depend on space systems. And as we've, we've found every one of the nation's critical infrastructure sectors, they all depend on space systems. This is a mapping that the Space ISAC has been doing. It's quite clear to us and to others that all of the other sectors, the other 16 sectors under the Presidential Policy Directive 21, depend on space systems. But the other thing that's happened is space systems increasingly are cyber systems. The convergence of space and cyber means that if there is a cyber problem, there's likely to be a space problem. If a company has thousands of satellites up there, then the telemetry and control associated with those satellites is a cyber issue. If we're going to do additive manufacturing in space, then the computer-based systems used to do it are subject to any kind of a cyber problem. In fact, one company, is it, uh, I think it may be Relativity Space, has demonstrated the ability to do additive manufacturing, essentially 3D printing of rockets. Well, just the ability to have computer-aided devices create the parts of a rocket, that means that the security of those computer-aided systems is going to have to be a, a subject of cybersecurity concern. One last thing, and it isn't the last I could mention, but it's the last I'll mention right now, is the cybersecurity of the supply chain, knowing where parts are coming from. In a global space business that is increasingly commoditized with a global supply chain, being able to know the provenance of the hardware and software that goes into these very sensitive, very powerful, but incredibly complex systems is gonna be more important than ever. This, was always, this has always been true, but now when we have hundreds of launches and thousands of satellites and hundreds of different thousands of different companies in the business and many different operators being able to secure the supply chain and use information technology to secure it and to understand the provenance of everything and the the chain of custody of everything that goes into our space systems is very important so the cybersecurity of space systems is a core issue in terms of the security and resilience of our space systems and all of the infrastructures that depend on them Sam, you just got back from the Paris SciSat conference, and at the conference, you led a tabletop exercise called Hera's Revenge. That included a cyber attack on businesses providing ground station as a service, or GSAAS. Tell us about the exercise. How was it set up? Who participated? And why did you choose GSAAS of all things? Well, uh, Aaron will also want to add, I think, to this to this answer. So first, uh, the choice of ground station as a service, it, it's not the only thing one could have chosen. But as ground station services become more of a commodity and more available, that represents something of a an increase in the attack surface. So it's a natural place to start. We had a 
a fantastic scenario uh, uh, developed for us by a member of the ISAC that in essence posited two companies, one with fairly robust cybersecurity defenses using zero trust architecture, and another, frankly, that operated in a more price-sensitive environment and could be seen to have cut corners. And we tested the ability of these two nominal players, these putative players, to defend themselves. We had five different teams representing uh, representing these companies, and the teams themselves were interesting because they were truly multinational, with members from France and Belgium and Germany and, and, and Spain and the UK, as well as, of course, the United States, working together seamlessly to attack this problem. And, and I can tell you, they didn't need a lot of facilitation from me. They got right into the problem, they understood what they were doing, and they worked as if they had known each other for years, even though some of these people had known each other only for an hour or two. One of the reasons we conducted this exercise the way we did, Laura, and this is what we call a hammer point, is that we wanted to demonstrate the utility of collective defense. The United States and its allies, its partners, the liberal democracies, in the, in the UK, the EU, Japan, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, other countries that share our values, Korea, we have an enormous advantage, one that our adversaries don't really have. We have partners, we have allies, partners and allies that share our values. And we wanted to demonstrate that this problem is more effectively addressed when partners work together. So the exercise not only explored cybersecurity issues related to ground station as a service and the use of zero trust architecture, it's also explored the powerful utility of collective defense for the cybersecurity of space systems, which was another reason why the Space ISAC was in Europe, helping uh, our European uh, partners as well as our American partners see the value of working together for collective defense using information sharing as one of our principal tools. And I certainly have something to add to that because just watching the tabletop exercise participants come together and the way they were able to collaborate and form teams and experience the same problems that we're seeing industry members of Space ISAC experiencing on a daily basis was just kind of proof that we need to keep running these exercises and um, experimenting and practicing what it takes to make decisions to conduct information sharing. The multinational aspect of it is reflective of reality. I mean, these people were all at this conference working together because they do in real life work together. Space is global and we can't change that. So we have that aspect. We also have the fact that there are supply chain attacks that take place frequently where there's intellectual property theft and recreation of components that are injected into the supply chain. And I've seen it hit headline news. It's public information, but at that point, it's already happened. So to be able to identify that that's taken place and ex experiment with that in an exercise format is, I think, really beneficial and walk through those steps to talk through the challenges and the barriers to sharing information, but then also overcome them and see that when industry was able to share together uh, in the watch center, but it was anonymized, we were able to generate a very detailed report that was actionable for all of industry, even though they didn't know who was actually attacked, they were able to still take action to protect their systems and use that anonymized information to respond to a threat or vulnerability. And 
And Erin, you know, after this exercise, I mean, what kind of feedback did you get? People were uh, surprised with their experience. I think they had to digest it a bit because it is unlike anything they'd done before. You know, we were bringing something that uh, the U.S. military does regularly, wargaming and exercises, um, to a very commercial international audience. And so I think there were some things that were new to many people there, but also um, the fact that an ISAC was facilitating it is also completely different. An information sharing and analysis center for the space industry has only existed for a few years now. And by contrast, the financial services ISAC has existed for about 25 years. So this is all new for the space industry. And even just asking the question, what is cybersecurity for space can prompt a lot of new thought processes for people um, who haven't worked through the different steps associated with that as Sam was detailing out earlier. And Sam, you're an experienced cyber warrior. There's not a lot you haven't seen. And as you designed this exercise, what did you learn about the Europeans and did anything actually surprise you? Well, first things first, what I learned about the European partners is that they're technologically sophisticated. They appear very clearly to understand the stakes of protecting space systems. They understand the threats that are being posed to those systems. The current political situation um, in Europe, in between Russia and Ukraine, has cast that, as I said, into stark relief. I wouldn't say I was surprised by anything, but I was, I was, well, perhaps I was surprised by the speed with which the teams built themselves and started to work. You know, they talk about, you know, forming, storming, norming, and performing. These teams went essentially from, from forming to performing in about 15 to 20 minutes, which was amazing. And I think it's, it may be because we understand now more clearly than we did, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, in common what, you know, the stakes are, the complexity of these systems, the fact that we depend on these systems, not just for national defense, but for economic security and for our very economic lives, and that adversaries are serious, are committed to finding ways to disrupt these systems and to make more difficult our, our national security and our economic security. What surprised me was the speed and effectiveness with which the teams formed and the openness with which they, they operated. One other thing I'll note is that you know, the Atlantic Ocean separates the United States from our European partners and allies and, and from the UK. The outlook was similar. These countries absolutely want to protect their sovereignty. They want to have their own model. They want to have their own systems. But technologically and from a policy perspective, they are really taking a, an approach similar to each other and one that is, I think, similar to the approach taken by the United States. Um, the extent to which countries are now prepared to pull together for a common defense, not that that was in doubt before, but I don't think it was necessarily as, as vivid before. Well, it's certainly vivid now, and that came out in, in every aspect. And lastly, I guess I was impressed, I don't know if I would say surprised, but impressed with the scope and diversity of the space cybersecurity market from small consulting companies to companies doing market intelligence to companies providing very, very sophisticated cybersecurity technologies for space systems. I think Europe has a very vibrant sector um, in this regard, and I was glad to see it. 
in the time since I sat, you know, I've learned that the European Commission is looking to establish its own space ISAC. And next week, the multinational civil space agency, yep, the European Space Agency, is convening a high-level space and security conference in Brussels. And that's at the heart of the European governance and defense system. NASA doesn't do that. And even the White House seems a bit squeamish. I don't know if you've read the recent National Low Earth Orbit Research and Development Strategy, but it is a very forward-leaning policy document. And for the first time ever, the White House under any administration, this is the first time our top leadership has said the goal is, quote, enabling human transportation and settlement within the solar system. And that's, you know, that is a quote from that policy. But within the 14 pages explaining this strategy, there's just one mention of cybersecurity. I don't think the folks in the administration are misinformed or don't think comprehensively. So how do we get this piece of the space industrial base into the base policy documents, into consciously made actions to protect this critical infrastructure? I mean, the Europeans get it. Well, I do have a thought on this, and it is going to um, spin out into many thoughts, and that is that there was a national cyber strategy that was also published that uh, not too long ago that also mentioned space systems many times, and it also mentioned information sharing and analysis centers many times, and I think if it didn't use the exact words collective defense, then it purported that that was required for us to succeed in protecting all of our critical infrastructure. So I don't think that we're um, missing it. I do think that we have um, a really strong uh, industry discussion that is leading this this in the U.S. right now, and we have actually gathered international members. So um, a, a number of our members and even board members of the Space ISAC are from the European Union and other places around the world that are addressing this issue and view it as a high priority item. So I don't think that the LEO strategy um, only mentioning cybersecurity one time is reflective of the entire White House's point of view on uh, cybersecurity for space systems, especially when you look at the recent actions of the interim director, Kemba Walden, uh, national cyber director. She's hosting regular meetings with industry to talk about this. And uh, we still have uh, a policy out there called the Space Policy Directive 5 uh, that uh, we're still looking at, you know, how do you really implement that? And it's not a a lost item on most people's mind that we have to figure out how to implement that. So um, those are a few thoughts for you that I have right now. Sure. And I, 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 I don't have really too much to add to it. I think that the office of the national cyber director has, you know, in Washington, it's not always important what people say. It's important who's saying it. And they have sent a very clear message by convening the leaders of the space systems industry at the White House and at subsequent meetings and saying space system cybersecurity is important to the White House. People didn't know, didn't need to be told it was important, but they wanted to hear that it was important to the White House, important to the administration. And this is being echoed. There is a reintroduction of legislation just this week by Senators Peters and and Cornyn. It's bipartisan. It's the Commercial Satellite Cybersecurity Bill. 
It requires the Department of Homeland Security to, to undertake additional actions, including putting in place a space a satellite cybersecurity clearinghouse, which is something I think we we very much support at the Space ISAC. Um, so I think broadly speaking, this recognition is growing, and the recognition that the government thinks it is important is also growing. One challenge that we face, Laura, is that the space industry isn't brand new. It's expanded and changed a lot in the last few years, right? A few satellites, now tens of thousands of satellites are going up, launches all the time. But we've had a, a complex government ecosystem for space systems for many years where the FAA has responsibility and NASA has responsibility and the Department of Defense has responsibility. So taking a legacy ecosystem of agencies that have had different pieces of space response, space system responsibility and melding those that administrative ecosystem into a more focused ecosystem for the cybersecurity and resilience of space that's a challenge you know in part it's it's you know after the second world war europe could build a whole new economic infrastructure whereas other countries you know, with surviving economic infrastructure had to modernize what has what what we still had in our legacy and that's what we have here a legacy administrative infrastructure that is going to have to be rationalized and modernized um, because we've been working space for for many many years i remember the you know when when neil armstrong landed on the moon i remember watching it on tv so we are going to have to modernize that infrastructure but i think policy is advancing ahead of that you can see it both in the bill uh, reintroduced by Senators uh, Peters and Cornyn, as well as in the is when what I think will be an update to Space Policy Directive 5, moving from principles to actual implementable actions. And the Space ISAC, I think, will be offering our views on that, as well as on, on the work that the, the uh, Office of the National Cyber Director is undertaking to signal the administration's focus on, on the cybersecurity of space systems that a meeting with industry leaders was held at the White House on this topic is a very powerful symbol indeed. So I can't let you go just yet, because where are we on space being named a critical infrastructure? I mean, we've got dams as a critical infrastructure. We've got the financial services named as a critical infrastructure. Where are we on space? We're still working on it. Laura, I would say the following. The Europeans have certainly recognized that space systems are their own critical infrastructure sector. Many in the United States agree, but it's taken time for people to, to recognize the change in scope and scale of space systems. Yes, there are still many space systems that provide communications, but they also provide position navigation and timing, and they also provide space travel and they're going to be building more space stations and we're going to do colonization in space and we do um, remote sensing both commercial and government from space and we know that many critical infrastructures depend on space systems that are not necessarily just communications look at precision agriculture we need to know the soil conditions and every square inch of a farm and we use remote sensing for this as well as iot devices and we need to be able to maneuver our agricultural material uh, equipment to exactly where we want on the farm and not neglect or, 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 or duplicate passes, as well as getting food to market. That relies on, on GPS, on position navigation and timing. I think the recognition will come. 
Um, I think it will come in due course. I hope it comes sooner rather than later. I'm, I'm optimistic that it will. Hopefully, we will make a good choice regarding uh, uh, how we will manage the sector risk, uh, uh, the sector risk governance of of this sector. I think that you know, given that we are still working through a a legacy, you know, administrative and bureaucratic infrastructure, it may be harder to decide um, which agency undertakes the sector risk management agency responsibility than actually making the critical infrastructure designation. So I think it may be that that other discussion that is underway right now. Um, thought, I want to be really thoughtful on this because it is a complex topic. It's not hard to say space systems are critical infrastructure. That's very easy to say because they are. <laughs> and we already know how dependent upon them we are. But I think that you know the way that we organize and uh, create the leverage really the potential of the Space ISAC Watch Center by bringing in a, a collaborative, organized um, incident response team from the government is really important. And to mobilize that team, we have to have alignment across all of our government agencies, and they have to be direct aligned and motivated and inspired to move out to respond to incidents from the commercial sector. And even those international incidents that might affect our commercial sector. And doing that partnership, I think, does require some uh, thought. But the Space ISAC has invested several years in making you know this possible, and a lot of industry investment has gone into it. So I I think the most important thing now is that the uh, U.S. government and even international governments follow industry's lead and organize so that we can do incident response together. Aaron, Sam, thank you so much for coming on the Downlink Podcast. It's been a pleasure to uh, to be part of the podcast today, Laura. We're, we're grateful, and uh, we think this is a vital issue, and we're grateful for any opportunity to raise its visibility and get people on board. Thank you. Laura, thank you for your time and for your commitment to getting the word out on important topics like this. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow The Downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening. Thank you.